Let us go now to South America and John Von Filia, the Latin America correspondent. And John, happy Boxing Day, if there is indeed such a thing in Mexico. Happy Boxing Day to you. Yep, Boxing Day, not that big a thing here. Really, it's Christmas Eve and the 6th of January, where everybody gets their presents that are the, that are the biggies. 26th of so, December, not so much. Not, not so much. Well, it's just, I suppose, when I say it's a big day here, I mean, normally, traditionally, it would have been a day when you'd all go out and you'd go Boxing Day shopping and find that the present that you'd given somebody that was really expensive was now half price and you could have saved yourself all the money. And essentially, it's turkey curry, uh, turkey sandwiches and turkey and custard forever, <laughs> forevermore until it's finished. Right, You've ruined talk. it now. <laughs> so looking forward to my leftover turkey. You've ruined it. <laughs> So let us talk about the big stories then, the big news in Latin America, perhaps, um, is that they've all, they're all looking northwards to the new president, Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, the incoming administration, generally people are looking on, I guess, hopefully to, um, to this change in administration. I think partly because, you know, on the one hand, uh, Biden is not Donald Trump and, um, and Donald Trump has uh, had a fairly heavy handed relationship with, um, uh, with Latin America over the course of his his administration in the last four years, but also Joe Biden is is pretty well received and and perceived in in Latin America during about the Obama administration when of course he was vice president he visited the continent record sixteen times and is widely regarded as having you know pretty in depth knowledge of of the continent and the and the continent's issues. Notwithstanding, there are a, a number of big issues that you know that that are ringing the red alarm bell uh, for this incoming administration. Of course, you know, migration and immigration up to the U.S. and the caravans uh, is one of them. Biden has called for an end to the demonization um, of, of migrants, although he hasn't offered any, you know, any tangible solutions beyond that for the moment. You know, what he does with the border and the border wall is an open question. And probably the biggest, you know, question of all is as regards poverty and inequality and in Latin America and how um, the U.S. tries to incentivize uh, Latin American governments and Latin American economies to, to really try and move, improve those those situations to try and um, incentivize or disincentivize people from from walking all the way up to uh, to the U.S. So far, he's announced a U.S. four billion dollar plan to address violence, poverty, corruption uh, and the like, in particular in Central America in the Northern Triangle. Um, which is where most of the current migrants uh, head up to the uh, to the U.S. from. Uh, but we'll have to see what what the remainder of his of his policies are. Notwithstanding, you know, Latin America, as we as we know, has experiences regularly and a, a number of um, systemic issues, which include, I mean, recently this year, of course, the COVID situation, the related economic implosion, but also more more regularly organized crime, natural disasters, and, and so on. And is one of those regions which is absolutely at the fore, you know, the, the almost literal coalface of, of, of climate change. I guess yeah. if there's one thing really which, which, which may be more important than all of this, which he's emphasized, is that the Latin American question for his administration is urgent, but also that it needs to be dealt with uh, humbly, um, that he's not going to browbeat. Latin American countries and administrations by telling them what to do, but rather that, that the U.S. is going to be a partner organization in trying to, to help um, move things forward for the continent. Except I suppose there will be some people who are looking at Venezuela and saying there is one place where perhaps they do need a bit of help. I mean, th th talking about migrants, so many people have left. 
the place is in chaos. Uh, they've got runaway inflation. They're running out of food. The whole thing is 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 desperate. Yeah, I mean, I just give you a, a statistic that the. The departure of Venezuelans from Venezuela over the course of the last few, um, three years is that the largest uh, mass movement of humans in Latin American history, bar none. Um, Venezuela has lost between a quarter and a third of its standing population because of, you know, it's not at war. Um, there's not huge amounts of nat natural disasters to that the population have been dealing with there. It's essentially state mismanagement and running it into the ground and um, hyperinflation, power cuts, uh, old diseases, which have become new diseases uh, coming into into play and so on. Venezuela has the largest standing reserves of oil in the world, and it currently has an oil shortage. It has to import oil from the likes of, uh, of Iran and Russia. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just you can't make this stuff up. It's obviously going to be a year of, of turmoil at 2021, but also I, I get the feeling one of empowerment because there is a rising feminist movement, almost a kind of a resurgence of feminist leaders across South America that's going to hopefully change society throughout the year. Yeah, I think it's one of the one of the really interesting stories of the last year, which is certainly going to continue through into 2021, is is these wide ranging feminist protests which have taken place across the continent. What's particularly interesting about them is that they're not, you know, centrally organized. They're essentially disparate, um, but essentially unified by values, which are largely about protesting three things, really. Uh, femis uh, femicides are violence against women and killings against uh, women, which statistically in Latin America you know, is one of the worst regions in um, in, the, in the world. Um, secondly, the, you know, the right to free and safe abortion. And the third, you know, general bog standard um, inequality vis-a-vis -vis, you know, men and, and, and women and so on. Um, and they caused, you know, these protests, which reached hundreds of thousands of, of people in capitals across across the continent, uh, really made the news and forced uh, political leaders, most of them men, to you know to sit up and take notice and realize that it wasn't something that they could just brush under the carpet that these women weren't just going to go home you know and continue with their lives they're going to keep coming back out to the street and causing uh, major issues and not taking no uh, for an answer and the fact that these women uh, this new you know emergent gen generational voice has has appeared in in Latin America is going nowhere this is a this is a uh, an, an advocacy voice which is here to stay and which we're going to hear a lot more about in 2021, no doubt. And is that, is that partly, John, because there have been female leaders in the last decade or so in, in Central and South America? Yeah, I think it's a number of things. I think you're right to, to, to draw that out. The fact that there are now, you know, that there is a, a cultural and a, a memory of, um, of, of women leaders in, in a, in a, in a number of these countries, I think there's also the the, the global framework, which you know often gets criti um, criticised a lot. But actually, in terms of the, the recognition of rights in different parts of of the world and so on, and aspiring to those um, has really uh, and communication also, is, you know, across protesting groups has also really catalysed um, these groups into into getting out and 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 demanding change and saying, look, we are. You know, we are humans, too. This has gone on for uh, for too long. We should be in charge of our uh, reproductive rights. This is you know, non-negotiable. We can't keep having mothers and sisters uh, and grandmothers and daughters just 
just disappearing on a on a on a daily basis, just you know f- falling off the face of the earth, and then the authorities not investigating the complaints um, and so on. And inequality is something which belongs in the last century. You know, we are in coming into 2021. Uh, the very least that needs to be hap- needs to be undertaken now is for for authorities to take this seriously. Interestingly, in a Chilean context. This is now being written into the new Chilean constitution as well. The Chilean constitution is the first constitution to actually enshrine um, equality of representative numbers in um, in the new statutes. And that fight for rights is going to be extended towards the environment as well, because I know in this country, clearly, we are deeply concerned about about the environment, but also in South America, the human rights when it comes to to land. Yeah, totally. And I think increasingly there's an awareness as well that, that feminist rights is also human rights, is also indigenous rights, is also environmental rights. So these things are all wrapped up, you know, in the same thing. And actually that all of these different groups um, need to find their voice in order to, to bring about, <coughs> excuse me, progressive change. And for sure, land and freedom is is a big topic. It's a topic that goes back to 1492 uh, in, in, in the continent. And it's probably the most uh, on ongoingly, the, the most consistent issue um, across the continent um, I keep often describe it as a you know the biggest uh, in, infected wound which relates to its indigenous and, and colored citizens who continually on a day-to-day basis you know it's not even hidden it's it's present in its front and center uh, suffer um, abuse internment racism uh, impunity from the authorities continued inequality intimidation and ultimately sadly in many cases killings and it's most obvious and certainly has been most obvious over the course of the last year in terms of indigenous land rights activists. It was the most it was the deadliest year in history last year for uh, land rights defenders, many of whom are you know, darker skinned and, and are in indigenous. And wouldn't it be nice for us to think you know, that these issues be, uh, beginning to be smoothed over and, and actually that there's not these points of conflict anymore, but actually. It's going from from bad to worse and, and accelerating, especially in the face of a number of different administrations really um, accelerating their ex- their extractivist extractionist um, agendas. And I think, sadly, you know, anybody who stands in the way of um, of big business and agribusiness and mining and um, and wildcat loggers and stuff at the moment um, really has to worry about their 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 safety. What do people in South America think about environmentalists like David Attenborough lecturing them about how to live their lives? Or, or actually, do, do they have a lot of sympathy for the way that he, he talks to them? I think they have a sympathy for him particularly because he is quite a softly spoken, you know, worldly, uh, avuncular figure. Um, so, you know, he, he is a positive voice. He's not that well known, but he is, you know, the BBC um, and you know, a number of other outlets that he appears on. Um, are, do get traction in, in, in Latin America. It doesn't help when others begin to, to shout and tell Latin Americans what, what it is that they need to do, um, as regards their, their natural resources. And certainly, Joe Bolsonaro in particular uses that, you know, counter punches with that fairly regularly by saying, you know, who are you Europeans, um, to tell us what we need to do? with our natural resources when you destroyed all of your natural resources a few hundred years ago. So he plays the kind of nationalist card. This is ours. This belongs to us. Of course, internationally, people would say, well, actually, it's an international um, it's international heritage that belongs to the world and is important for the good of the world. Much more likely to be successful and something which uh, 
countries and and universities within these countries are beginning to turn their minds to is actually not to import um, foreign foreign opinions um, in terms of what needs to happen with uh, with the environment, but actually to generate their own institutions and uh, scientific and and social bodies to be able to argue that from within, and that essentially kind of um, destabilizes the argument that says it's just foreigners telling us what we need to what we need to do. And in particular, as regards the Amazon, that's what's a, a new body there of Brazilians and, and Bolivians and Colombians and, and Ecuadorians is what's actually been standing in the way of particularly excessive, um, you know, destruction of the uh, of the jungle, which, you know, I say particularly excessive destruction. It's already reached another record year um, this year. And the, the Brazilian vice president has actually gone on record to say, well, we thought it was going to be worse. So, you know, not to worry. Oh dear, it is just very sad, isn't it? But yes, I mean they've they've got a point, haven't they? I mean they just they just say you've destroyed all yours already. We're just we're just doing what you've already done. We're going. Let's end on a happier note, though, John. And this is about a book which <coughs> wasn't even a book that you could hand around, which has has become a huge success. Yeah, um, un, un, unprecedented. I know we say this a lot, but actually, uh, this is a book called Empty Houses by Brenda Navarro. Um, and she wrote it a couple of years ago and then just shared it as a PDF, you know, as you do, um, by email in February last year. And then that PDF was shared around to a few other people and a few other people and so on and just became a runaway, uh, success and, and was, uh, to coin a phrase, viraled to success essentially, um, through, through Mexico, um, and then more broadly Latin America. And it's gonna, it's essentially, it's now been translated. It's the first English language edition. It's hitting, um, it's hitting bookstores and Kindles in, in the UK in, in February in a translation by, uh, by Sophie Hughes. And the, the broad expectation is it's going to do just as well over there as it, as it has done here. And just remarkable because, you know, Brenda didn't have a, a writing background. She never expected it to take off. She didn't have a publishing contract. And this just, you know, snowballed down, uh, down the mountain. Ostensibly, the book is about motherhood. It's about an abducted child, you know, a mother who loses one child, another, uh, mother in inverted commas who adopt, uh, abducts that child and really um, addresses a number of issues which which Mexico has um, has experienced over the course of the last few, few generations, even longer in terms of you know, disappearances, loss, absences, the, you know, the, the um, these ghosts that that suddenly appear in society. I mean, this year in a COVID context as well, but more regularly uh, to do with the, the cartels and so on, but also some fundamental universal themes, including, you know, grief, love, longing, resilience, uh, and so on. And this little um, publisher in, in London called Daunt Books, it's only been around for, for 10 years, a, a little independent uh, publisher, which is looking into developing an innovative and, um, and surprising books from, from across the globe is, is, is taking it on. And, and the broad expectation is that, again, it's going to be a you know, a sleeper hit which which crosses the Atlantic, and and soon everybody's going to know about Empty Houses by Brenda Navarro. And so you said she hasn't got a, a writing background. What does Brenda Navarro do in her in her day job? Well, she she writes now. Uh, I mean, prior to she's now moved to moved away from from Mexico City. She was uh, born and raised in Mexico City, and moved across to um, to Spain. So she's taking you know she's taking this opportunity and. And running with it, but but as as with a you know number of uh, of people in in these economies in in Latin America, no no one particular role, just you know a number of different jobs uh, shifting between economies, just trying to make things work on a you know on a day to day basis for yourself and your family. 
Fantastic. John, thank you so much for bringing us up to date with goings on in Latin America. That's John Bonfilio, the Latin America correspondent.